Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining us this evening, we have the creator and host of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Dungeon Master Brock. Brock, welcome to Rollin' Bones. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you you did me the courtesy of putting putting me on your show, so I wanted to return the favor and wanted to you know, bring you on so people could uh, get to know you a little bit better and, and hear a little bit about uh, you know, your influences in gaming. Well, I was, it was a really fun conversation, so if anybody hasn't heard that, they should definitely go check it out. It was a fun conversation, um, and I'm just happy to uh, be on a live. This is my first live show, so very exciting. Awesome. Well, uh, Brock, we're going to kick this off the same way we kick off every single episode. I've got questions that everyone gets asked, so let's start at the beginning. How did you get into role-playing games? Uh, That's a fun little question. Um, I first got into probably, I would say, like RPGs in general when Skyrim released. That was kind of a big influence for me uh, back in my college days, and... I had heard of things like D&D and, you know, that there were other role-playing games and stuff out there, but I didn't really know where to look uh, for that and how to really find a group. And I obviously hadn't played, so I wouldn't also know how to run a game. Um, So while I was in college, I, you know, started listening for if people were playing this um, or if there were groups at all. Uh, I went to an engineering school. So there was a lot of nerds out there, and a lot of people were playing. Uh, A lot of people didn't have uh, groups that were open to new players at the time. It was a lot of, like, long-running campaigns, um, that sort of thing. So there were two groups in particular. Um, One was through a club that I was a part of. Uh, They weren't accepting new players at the time. And then one was at one of the uh, workplaces that I was at um, on campus. And they also weren't taking new uh, players. So I, eventually I was like, I'd really got to get into this hobby and just, you know, see what it's all about and, and figure it out. Because the the main like selling point for me was hearing that it's like a video game, you know, like Skyrim, but you can do whatever you want or you can attempt anything that you want, right? That's kind of the, the pull versus just playing a video game. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I ended up looking at a variety of different 
RPGs online to find one that I liked because I couldn't find a group uh, to play with, so I had to basically start my own group. Uh, so I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna look around and see uh, what exists and what I'm interested in, and uh, we'll go from there. So I ended up getting the uh, beginner box set of the Age of Rebellion game, the Star Wars RPG from Fantasy Flight. Um, and then basically conned, you know, my sister and um, my fiance, now wife at the time, into playing uh, some very poorly run uh, games with me as I was both learning to play the game and also trying to run the game for, you know, two or three people. So that is that was my start to role playing games. Gotcha. So so your first game was uh, Age of Rebellion. Yep, that is right. Gotcha. I've actually not played the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games. I, when I was first getting into role playing, I thought you know I, I wanted to play a Star Wars game, and I looked at the Fantasy Flight games. I didn't like the fact that you had to buy three fifty dollar books to get a, a like full view of what everything you know every every system that the the game had to offer and so i ultimately went with saga edition because uh the resources were readily available online it was built on D D, and it was basically kotor but a role-playing game so i was kind of already familiar with it to a degree yeah the the way that they marketed the three games they're not really three separate games. It's like the same core game, and then they have slightly different mechanics for each one, and then it's just a bunch of career options, hmm. class specializations and stuff. So, yeah, they really kind of... I, I see kind of why they did it, to split it up for, like, theming, but they really should have released, like, a core set, and then, like, Age of Rebellion, the uh, the setting guide, and... Edge of the Empire, the setting guide, you know, and and not messed with basically a bunch of copy-paste material over three books. Yeah, because the big thing with Star Wars, uh, and I know this is a headache for every GM who tries to run a Star Wars game, but when it comes to Star Wars RPGs, you have to, like, the Jedi material has to be accessible to anyone picking up the book for the first time, because that's immediately what players are going to flip to. They're going to immediately go what's it going to take for me to be a jedi in this game so splitting that off into another book i think was a bit of a misstep and like you said it sounds like it mostly comes from the marketing side of things where they kind of bungled that but you know it is what it is i've heard some people say they love the system i've heard some people say they didn't maybe someday i'll get to play it Maybe I'll have to run a game for you sometime. <laughs> a one-shot. Um, I enjoy the system. Um, I think it's partially why I'm drawn now to dice pool type games. Um, and I also like that the, uh, the narrative dice that they use give you the mixed results. So it's not just pass or fail. It's also, uh, but was there a good outcome or a bad outcome? Um, so you kind of have like two different axes of uh, success when you're when you're looking at the roles, um, and that's also kind of led into 
uh, I found the Powered by the Apocalypse and the Blades in the Dark uh, stuff. Yep. And that's all got those um, partial success mechanics as well. Um, and I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to some of those as well, because it's a simpler way to do um, kind of the, the thing that I started with, essentially. Uh, but the the Fantasy Flight games do have they have a lot with the narrative dice in terms of just kind of how you narrate stuff. But then there's also a decent amount of crunchy mechanics in terms of like upgrades and unlocks and weapon customization and all of that fun stuff. So if you were really looking at it from like a player perspective and you want to get in and get like a super customized uh, character, there definitely are options for you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, this talk of uh, systems and how they work leads very well into the next question. Um, and I know this is a hard question for a lot of people, but if you had to pick a favorite game system of all time, what would that be? Um, favorite game system. Um, that's, yeah, it's kind of tricky. And it does go back to the that dice pools. I just really like how dice pools feel to roll um i so i think i would pick the blades in the dark as far as like dice mechanics go um i really like the simplicity of their dice pools because it's you roll you know a number of d6s based on whatever your attribute is or whatever your stats and then it's just uh you get the partial success mechanics in there as well because one through three is a failure four to five is a um a partial success and then your six is a full success and you normally have to like parse the dice essentially like you're not doing any math it's just you take the highest dice that you roll mm -hmm. so you know compared to like D D, where you're adding modifiers or uh the age of rebellion the fantasy flight games where you have to like cancel a bunch of results it's just a lot faster to do that but you still kind of get that um dice mechanic feel uh, so, like, if I was going to, like, lift out of a system, I would probably say the Blades in the Darks, um, basically their role mechanic. Because you could, you could really fit that to just about anything and build around it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really do like that Blades in the Dark game. Um, I, John was on the show at one point. Um, it's, it's a great book. It, it really is. It's a great book, and I I love the the ecosystem that uh, they've kind of built around uh, those Forged in the Dark games. Uh, you know, Band of Blades is really good. There's so much potential in uh, that Forged in the Dark system. It's it's really easy to adapt and move into really any kind of. Uh, ragtag crew that's probably not going to survive this job uh type setting uh so yeah th those those games are really really good yeah i'm a fan um i had um ben the author of wicked ones it's a, a forged in the dark based game um but it your monsters that are basically building a dungeon um I had him on as one of my first episodes, actually, and then again uh, recently for his new game. Um, but yeah, l the way that just kind of listening to him and how he's taken the Forged in the Dark and then just thrown it into other systems. I haven't gotten to play very many of the Forged in the Dark games, but I I just love the mechanic, the the initial dice mechanic. So I'm sure it's just a matter of picking your setting and, and your extra rules there. 
I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Ben is a fan of the Dungeon Keeper series of uh, video games. Yes, yes, <laughs> there was heavy, heavy influences there. Uh, there, uh, His current game that he's working on is kind of like a Monster Hunter... Um, what is Shadow of the Colossus, where you're taking down these like big titans, mm-hmm. basically? Oh yeah. Um, called Relic. If anybody wants to check that out, I know he's on Twitter as well. So, but yeah, and and just the mechanics and and the ideas and and a lot of the powered by the apocalypse and the Forge in the dark stuff, just kind of the way that they talk about like narration and stuff too. Um, really big fan of of that. Gotcha, gotcha. So, when do you get the chance to play, uh, how would you describe your play style? And when you're behind the screen, how would you describe your dungeon mastering style? Um, I think that my play style is influenced a bit by being a DM. Um, the the first true D&D campaign that I got to play in, um, I played a monk. And I, I wasn't quite sure where to go with it, I guess. Um, and this is a really good experience for me because I actually finally had somebody to kind of show me how to run games now instead of um, me being just kind of blindly DMing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that campaign lasted for about a year. And I think I learned a lot just kind of playing uh, that character. And that all of the other games that I've played in after that, I've always tried to pick a character that's been a little bit more versatile um in the fantasy world that's typically like a a druid or something i or like an artificer i get i tend to gravitate towards classes that let me kind of break the rules a little bit um and be not necessarily great in you know like a really specific situation but kind of have just a general i can solve a lot of problems uh, kind of play style, and I think that's partially because as a DM, you're constantly coming up with like different characters and NPCs and different problems and and kind of all these different facets of how to solve them. So for me now, playing, it's trying to have a character that can kind of fill in the gaps and and do a lot of those things that maybe we don't have necessarily a specialized character for, uh, but somebody that can be kind of decent at just about anything. Um, as far as DMing style, um, I, I like to kind of be, uh, contained, but also open-ended. I think the, the best way that I can describe this is, um, I kind of like to have like a sandbox versus, uh, an open world, right? So, um, open world, I would think of as like Skyrim where like you just get thrown in the world and you can just go anywhere and then like a sandbox for me would be more along the lines of like have you played the dishonored games yeah at all mm-hmm. so you get dropped into a mission you have like a specific thing that you're trying to do but there's like you know 50 different ways that you could go about doing that thing right you could go over here and do something or you could go the other way or you could go up or you could go under or whatever and i like uh, it gives me a little bit more control that way when I can set, uh, I can kind of set up a sandbox area for the players, and then I can, you know, I can give them kind of a vague, thing, you know, here's what your guys are trying to accomplish, here's where you start, here's maybe a couple of limitations, go, 
you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know which direction they're going to go, but I have enough of it kind of uh, laid out and I kind of have some kind of walls on the side so that they don't get too far outside of what I can handle. Um, but then anything that they do inside of that sandbox, I can just react to and and just let them, you know, go nuts, essentially. So uh, that's kind of the style that I like to have, uh, at least for um, specific sessions. I like to have, a, a you know, a set thing that's kind of um, laid out for them, and then they can just kind of go do whatever they want in that area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I find it is uh, very difficult to give your average player the degree of latitude that most open-world RPGs kind of give people. Um, That kind of gaming, I feel like, is best served for a group of dungeon masters or a group of super-experienced self-starter players... Uh, but your average player, if you give them that huge open world, uh, like the Skyrim example that you gave, a lot of times they just kind of shut down. They're like, I don't know what I want to do. And you you find yourself kind of going behind them and pushing them into things more than maybe you wanted to with that kind of game. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that the the sandbox rather than the the big open world is is in general a better way to run uh games of that kind and i think for some of the if you want to get into more you know open world stuff or um letting your players you know move outside of that sandbox that's kind of a discussion for either like at the end of a session or um, kind of like an after the session thing where like, you know, my characters want to go do these couple of things and this other character wants to go do th- these couple of things. Okay, well then now I can take that information, you know, from session to session and I can say, okay, now I need to, you know, make another sandbox over here so that my players can go interact with this thing that they're interested in. But bringing that up on the fly is, at least for me, very difficult to do. I, I kind of like to have something at least a little bit planned out ahead of time. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, um, as far as the next question goes, you mentioned that first character you got to play was a monk. Uh, what was his name and, and what was kind of his deal? Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender vibes. Um, Theron, I don't remember if he had a last name. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it, so it must not have been important if he did. Um, so it was a D&D 5th edition campaign. He was a monk of the four or way of the four elements or whatever um and essentially in the the campaign um he was basically going to uh basically different temples of um or like monasteries that focused on different elements essentially to like master all of the elements is is basically what that was kind of his like side quest in the grand um scheme of the entire campaign gotcha Gotcha. So, so very much, uh, Ang, or Cora. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. I think a lot of people kind of begin RPGs with with uh, derivative characters. Well, I don't. I don't want to come off as rude or anything like that. Everything we do in RPGs, it seems like, is stolen to a degree. 
dungeon masters and myself included uh, steal from like every possible thing my current Nighthaven game is like if you if you mixed sin city with uh thieves world so there, there's a lot of stolen elements there but generally when people are making their first character i find it's it's usually borrowed very heavily from uh some piece of pop culture my, my first character definitely was uh my second DD character was an artificer um basically the mandalorian slash iron man mm-hmm. um and named him Beskar as well, so that was really on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, he was a fun character as well. I didn't get to play him a lot, but uh, playing around with a little bit more magic was fun. Mm-hmm. Now, this is another difficult question for a lot of people because you know people like you and me who devote time to this hobby and uh, you know. B- put together shows like this. We we have a lot of fond memories tied up in RPGs. Um, but if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Um I def there's a there's a moment from that artificer character. Uh we were following up on we basically um there was somebody that went missing, you know, the classic, you know, husband disappeared. Um, there was like a ransom note that was left trying to, so we were trying to figure out, okay, where did they end up going? Who took them? We found trails that led back to this, uh, city office, uh, or like city official type person. Right. So we, um, we conned our way into her office and were, basically trying to like intimidate her or get just get information we actually we weren't trying to intimidate her uh it things turned very quickly um it basically got to the point where we were trying to convince her that we were you know something had happened and get this information out of her and she didn't buy it so she pulled her wand out and pointed it at us and um my artificer having magic missile and knowing that magic missile doesn't need a um you don't make an attack roll for magic missile in fifth edition. You just you just do damage. Yep. So like, can I can I use magic missile to shoot the wand out of her hand and disarm her? Right. So hopefully I don't have to make a roll for this. Um, the DM did decide that I needed to make a roll. Uh, unfortunately, so <laughs> I rolled um, a dexterity check to basically do it quickly, and I rolled a critical. So he had me roll damage, and I basically, like, blew her arm off uh, in the process. (laughs) Love it. Um, And then then that led to a whole situation where uh, we basically grabbed her and jumped. We were on the second floor, jumped out the window, and and made off with an injured city official. (laughs) See, that's the kind of thing just... Not to further proselytize Dungeon Crawl Classics as I as I want to do. Uh, that's the kind of thing that that game does very, very well. Uh, where, you know, if you cast Magic Missile to do that exact thing and you roll on the table, uh, one result could give you a little, little tiny Magic Missile that could maybe, like, hit her in the finger and cause her to drop something. Uh, but the other one could, like, 
like that one did, you know, blast her arm off or blow a hole in her or something like that. So stuff like that where where players try to harness the chaotic force of magic in a very specific direction. I love stuff like that. And and the fact that it turned out that way is just glorious. It was definitely a kind of a cinematic, I mean, it was like classic action movie setup, right? Like tried to do something went terribly wrong and now you're improvising we're jumping out a window we're we went from trying to get information from a city official to now being you know borderline murderers and kidnappers (laughs) (laughs) yep absolutely now uh the the last of these introductory questions that i have here uh this is one that has flummoxed a lot of people and i'll tell you the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be but if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Yeah, so you warned me about this question. <laughs> and I... So so obviously the first one is my Dungeon Masters Toolkit logo. I need to get shirts made. I know that that's not, that's not probably a legal answer. Um, and the funny thing is that I talked about this with my wife. I brought it up when we were um, driving to visit some family over the weekend and we we came up with something and i i have been trying to remember all day and i can't for the life of me remember what we said to put on the t-shirt um but i am i tend to be pretty minimalistic in uh the shirts and stuff that i wear like obviously i'm just wearing like a, a plain shirt right now uh so i would probably go with something where i have like the um like the d20 shape or like some of the dice shapes that are just just the shapes with no text and probably just put them somewhere on the shirt or like on like a nice polo or something. Uh, so they look professional, but it's like, oh, if you know what that is, then then you're in on it. And hey, do you like D&D? <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. And because I haven't answered this question myself in a long time, and I'm curious to see who out there gets it uh, or, or if, if you get this as well, um, Mine would be an ice hockey rink with players on it, but all the players are horses. And if anyone out there understands what I'm getting at, uh, drop a comment on YouTube, drop something in chat right now. Uh, Let me know if you're on the same page as me. If not, uh, think about it for a little bit and see if it comes to you. Cool. So, uh, with that out of the way, all those introductory questions out of the way, uh, first of all, you mentioned uh, Skyrim as you were uh, answering some of those questions. So, I just want to make everyone from our generation feel a little bit older and remind everyone that on November 11th of this year, that game will be 10 years old. Oh, man. But they're still releasing it, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. Coming soon to a game system near you. Yeah, that's a little bit terrifying to know that that game is still, is is that old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, obviously, you know, you, you mentioned your time learning to Dungeon Master, learning to play, and, you know, building up your skill sets there. When did the idea occur to you uh, to start this podcast and and what was that 
thought process like of I want to put out a podcast to help people kind of learn tips and tricks for dungeon mastering? Um, so uh, a while ago, a couple of years ago, I actually had a, a website that I did, um, which I haven't actually mentioned on my podcast at all. It was a, a little blog that I did that kind of talked about some RPG stuff. Uh, this was around the time that the ICRPG stuff was um, really going um, from Hank Rin Fernail mm-hmm. um, over at Runehammer. So I was really into a lot of his stuff. Um, and I was that's kind of around the time when we were playing our campaign to our my first D&D campaign. So I was really getting a lot more uh, exposure to RPGs at that time. And unfortunately, that site... Uh, Something happened to it, and it, it got basically locked up, and I just had to delete the site because it uh, couldn't get into it anymore. Um, but that's all right. It wasn't. I wouldn't say that it was the greatest website to begin with, anyway. So um, I had done that in the past, um, and I when I was working on it, I kind of wanted to do like a YouTube show or a YouTube channel or something, and um, talk about different, uh, you know different topics in uh, the tabletop space, like um, how to speed up combat or, you know, how do you, how should you handle health or just, you know, just a bunch of just random topics. Um, I've got a list of them on my phone. Um, And that never really, uh, that never really went anywhere uh, back then. Um, And then uh, fast forward to, this the end of this last year um i actually got into tiktok a little bit um so if it so if i could talk (laughs) um i had a video go viral my first video that i posted went viral so many of you may have actually heard of me or heard my voice before um i put out the square hole video if you've ever seen that um basically taking a bunch of shapes and putting them in the square hole uh it showed up as a meme on the D subreddit at one point um i can send you a link at some point if you would like to see it but it got Definitely. like 19 mil- 19 million views um nice and then i started putting out some more just like random tiktok content because i was like okay i mean i have this many people watching my stuff so i might as well right um and then through that process i was like you know, it's one of my fears before and starting a show was just being too nervous to be like on camera or, you know, recording something. And, and that actually kind of gave me the confidence, like, okay, a bunch of people watch this like random, you know, video that I threw out there. So putting together a bigger format show really doesn't need to be that scary, right? It's, you know, people seem to like the things that I put on there. So I'll, you know, start doing more of the stuff that I like to talk about, which happens to be role-playing games. Um, So that was kind of the progression there as far as um, just kind of gaining that confidence to to put something out. The other piece of it was um, whenever I have been consuming RPG content, there's a lot of stuff from, like, uh, Matt Colville and you know, all these other, like, big-name people about how to, like, how you should run games or tips to run games. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't really found any that were just interviews with Dungeon Masters and how they specifically run 
their uh, you know their like home games right and i thought and i'm i'm starting to see more of those now that i've been in uh the podcast space a little bit more um but when i was originally coming up with the ideas i just hadn't really seen that um out there or i hadn't found ones that i had liked listening to so i as i'm like writing down like okay i'm gonna start this youtube channel i'm gonna i need to get like a bunch of topics so that I have just an idea of what I'm going to record to publish because I would like to do at least one episode a week. Um, and so I got like about to like 26 and I was like, okay, I got like half of the year done that I have ideas that I can record for. What if I just filled them in with interviews like every other episode? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I reached out on Reddit and was like, hey, are there any Dungeon Masters out there that would like to be interviewed just to talk about your home game to talk about you know what you do how you dm that sort of thing um and i had like 200 people respond and say that they were willing to be interviewed so i have this like massive backlog of people that i'm just kind of slowly working my way through and and since i got such a good response and since there are so many people that are willing to uh, be interviewed I just decided I'm not even going to worry about doing those other, you know, like 15, 20 minute videos. I'm just going to focus on doing the interviews. Um, They take a little bit longer in terms of like the recording length, but they're also a little bit easier to edit because I don't have to be as precise as if I was putting together a, you know, like a shorter YouTube clip. Oh yeah. Um, So I can just kind of trim, trim out some of the spaces and, and publish. So, uh, a little bit of it is just ease of um, content production. And I think a lot of people like to listen to what other um, what other people do in their home games. And um, I think one of the biggest things I've taken from it is um, I'm the type of person that likes to read RPG rule books almost like for fun because I like to see how does this system handle these things. And, and maybe I can steal that for this other game that I'm playing. And the nice thing about interviewing a ton of people is that they all play different systems and each system does everything or it does certain things really well and it does certain things not so well. So interviewing people and letting them talk about like their favorite system, you can kind of pull out like, here's like the best thing that this system does. And okay, I can, I can see how I could tweak that and I could put it in D&D or Pathfinder or my Star Wars game. And then... And then having that just be a podcast that people can listen to, it's just a lot easier because you don't have to read the rule books now. You just have somebody come in and tell you the the best bits. Yep, absolutely. So of kind of the the big content creators out there or even, you know, small content creators, uh, because, I mean, there are definitely a few that that I really like, uh, who have been kind of your big influences uh, on your dungeon mastering style as you've gone from those early games up till you know where you are today who who have who've been kind of the you know, like big influences on your style as a dungeon master i think one of the big ones would be um hank Rinfernell from runehammer games i got in i was getting into a lot of his stuff like as he was publishing it so it was really cool to um kind of follow that that journey and see a lot of his stuff mm-hmm. um i also watched a lot of a lot of matt colville um i don't watch a ton of his stuff anymore um but 
he's he does have a lot of good stuff if you're specifically looking at fifth edition. Um, and I I do really like the um, it was Professor Dungeon Master. What's his oh, yeah. show? Professor Dungeon Master. He Dungeon Craft. Yes, he, yes, Dungeon Craft. He's he's a great dude. I love him. And, and I especially like a lot of his stuff because. I mean, he talks about it in the lens of 5th edition, but then, like, most of his stuff is not necessarily, fifth, like, straight 5th edition. It's a lot of homebrew stuff or, you know, tweaked rules and stuff like that from from various games. And I like seeing those different uh, bits that he comes up with. Um, and so a lot of it is from YouTube. I'm I'm trying to get into more of the podcast, especially now that I'm finding more podcasts that are similar to mine. Um, the problem is I'm running out of time <laughs> to listen to them all. So, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Hanker and Fernell. Uh, one thing I will say is you you should definitely reach out to him if you haven't already. He is a super nice guy, and uh, as long as he sees your message, I'm pretty sure he'll agree to come on your show. Uh, he's he's a great dude, and he makes like an hour and a half seem like 15 minutes talking to him because he he's all over the place. He he's wild, he's wide open, but he's super insightful and. You know, anyone out there, if you haven't read ICRPG or any of the other books that he's put out, uh, do yourself a favor and and read specifically ICRPG because it, it doesn't even have to stand on its own as a system. It is, it's the it's like a philosophy book for RPGs. It's basically an explanation of finding what's fun in role playing extracting that and kind of leaving everything else out because it's extraneous. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. You could probably read that book just for the GM section on its own. It's a fantastic, uh, part of the book. Um, and just, even the ICRPG system is just so fluid. And to me, it's really like a streamlined D and D essentially. So if you're looking for fifth edition, but faster to run, I would probably, jump to that absolutely and, and it does to a degree stand on its own you you can definitely if you don't want to buy fifth edition books or pathfinder books or or what have you you can you can buy icrpg and basically run it as its own thing i've heard some people say it doesn't quite stand up on its own but I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think it's a a good enough system on its own. And for people who do know, you know, D and D rules or already have those books, definitely just you know buy it and use it as, like you said, Brock, use it as like your GM bible, basically. One of the things that I like about it is he he does put a lot of emphasis on, hey, dungeon master, it's not that hard to make stuff that fits in the system. So, like, make cool stuff for your players based on, um, based on what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, monsters or magic items or whatever. Um, and and I think again because I am a game master and I get to do some of that sometimes, then I also like to do that as a player. Like, hey, if I'm an artificer, can I be making magic items? Because that would be sweet. Um, and it's nice when the system encourages it um, versus 
having you know lots of restrictions and and making it you know kind of difficult to do some of that stuff as a player yeah yeah i remember being super frustrated with uh fifth edition crafting when i was playing an eldritch knight uh fighter and i wanted to be a character who had skills in blacksmithing and uh basically made his own weapons and armor but the crafting rules in 5e are so stupid and their their primary concern is not breaking the economy of the game which is silly because it the the economy of 5e is so broken already it's super easy to get a ton of money you don't have to invest so heavily in in crafting weapons and armor if you want to make a crap ton of money in 5e um so i don't understand why why they made it so difficult it it seems like it should just be some kind of skill check and you have the materials um but yeah i i love stuff like that one of my favorite shows is forged in fire so oh yep the the idea of a character that crafts their own weapons or crafts magic swords, magic blades, magic bows, things like that, that really appealed to me. So any any way that a GM can strip away the nonsense from a system and allow a player to do that, I, I think is good. And for me as a GM, if I had a player that was like me and wanted to do that stuff, I would figure out, I would, I would probably sit down with them and actually like homebrew an item or if they wanted to learn like a new skill or something, um, or like a power, I guess I would homebrew something for them and work, work out how, how do they train to unlock this or what kind of materials and resources does it take and how many, you know, successful checks do you have to make or whatever, um, but for a lot of DMs, and just because it's not not necessarily trivial, um, it's really easy to just be like, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to go buy the book. That's just easier for the DM, which I, I get. It makes sense. Um, that can be frustrating as a player, like you said. And like I mentioned, I played an artificer kind of for that reason, right? Like I want to be able to make, you know, like magic items or magic things. Um, and... At least, unfortunately, it seems like in D&D, or at least in 5th edition, it, it's like, if it can't be written on your character sheet, there's a good chance you won't be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a little frustrating, uh, since because of the open-ended nature of RPGs, and I, at least I feel like they should be more um, open to those kinds of things. Uh, but I, I, get, I also, as a GM, I get... If you if you don't want to deal with homebrew stuff, just saying no is the easy option. Um, it's just not always the fun option. Yeah, yeah, and I don't begrudge any dungeon master early on for being very strict with the rule book. I was very strict with the rule book when I started, uh, and I had players who would have pushed me to my like to the limit of my patience if I hadn't put those hard lines in there. Um, but as you learn the game, learn the rules, it's, it's this notion, uh, that you find in pretty much every, uh, skill that you learn, every class that you take, 
you learn the rules so you know where to break them. You, you really get the sense of this is how the game works, this is how the game flows, and once you have that in your head, find ways where you can morph and tweak and eliminate the boundaries to give your players the experience they're looking for. Because ultimately, as the dungeon master, you're the curator of the experience, and you want to give your players... Uh, you, you want to give them what they want. You you want to give them, uh, you know, something that will be memorable, and you want to allow them the uh, the latitude to do cool things and and to have cool moments and to you know build out their place in the world. And so, finding you know unique ways for your rogue to gain advantage so that they can use their sneak attack more often. Uh, you know, that that should be on the table. Having a crafting system that's not so silly for any player that, you know, has the appropriate skill proficiencies or tool proficiencies to do so. Um, letting your artificer make cool, weird things. These are all these are all things that I like to see people uh, incorporate, but I definitely understand sticking to the rule book. Uh, early on, the uh, the Star Wars games by Fantasy Flight, they've got a bunch of crafting rules. So mm-hmm. check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And crafting, crafting in Star Wars is a whole other uh, interesting, cool side of things. Even like moving beyond the the crafting of your own lightsaber, which Jedi have to do as part of their training. So much stuff is crafted. Most of the Millennium Falcon is, like, thrown together. So be, being able to do that and having a robust system for doing that is cool, in my opinion. So I I will give Fantasy Flight props there. Yeah, the as a player, it's fun to look through because they've got, like, the ship modification sections and, like, the weapon modification sections. It's just all these different attachments and how much they cost and what they allow your weapon or your ship to do it and yeah you can really get deep into uh customization in that game which is cool Mm -hmm. absolutely so while we're on the subject of kind of the rule of cool and and giving players some latitude as i talked about in uh our episode, there was a player in one of the games I played in who wanted to turn himself into a stealth bomber with various uh, magic items and uses of his abilities. Uh, where in your games have you seen players try to abuse the rule of cool or try to hang themselves with the uh, the slack that you've given them in their leash? Um... Gosh, I I have two. I don't have a lot of like long running campaigns, unfortunately. Uh, so I kind of have like two groups that I've mostly just run one shots for. Um, the first group uh, is uh, they're more of like the D and D style group, uh, but they're very um, they're very linear focused. They're they're less of the like we're gonna go way out of our way and do a bunch of things. They're like we want to have the story. And, you know, we'll follow it and do stuff with it. But, like, they don't necessarily, you know, branch off too far from where they're kind of supposed to go. Um, 
which is fine. Uh, I have another group uh, that would be the the group that plays Star Wars. Um, they haven't gotten into a situation where they have uh, necessarily really pushed me too far. Um, but I know one of the uh, players in particular, um, he's family, so I, I think it's okay to talk about him like this. He, he likes to push things in games a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, uh, there was a situation where he, uh, he he kind of like, I was like, okay, this isn't how the, the game mechanics work. And he's like, no, no, I should be able to do this. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm just going to make your check a little bit harder then and to, to balance it out, but that's fine. Um, but I, I think in a in a longer term campaign uh, with him, I'm sure there would be some pushing of, of the limits there, but that that's just kind of how he is and how he plays games. And I, I know that cause I played with him for a long time. So um, I, I think I would be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And if, if he's family, that's, that's one thing. Cause you can, you know, that person a little bit better than you would know, even like a, a, a close friend. So kind of knowing ways to challenge them and, and, you know, put them in a, in a place where they can't necessarily do something silly and get away with it is a little bit easier in that situation. And they probably won't take it as personally. Uh, the nice thing, uh, well, nice. He, he is very, when we play, uh, he's not super familiar with like RPGs, uh, specifically what he does like more like skirmish and like war game type things uh so when we threw him into that first one shot he like his mind was just spinning with like okay i can do i can do anything right like okay so um the the nice thing is that he really tries to think ahead and think creatively for solutions um the the maybe the downfall is that he tries to think about them and not tell me about them because he doesn't want me to have um he doesn't want me to stop his his plans essentially <laughs> right so um i remember at the end of the session so this is this was um i basically dropped them i found a map online uh, of like an asteroid base and i basically made it an extraction mission so they had to go in get a, get this person out um and they had a couple limitations on how they could do it. And other than that, I was like, I, I don't care. They can blow the asteroid base up uh, for all I care. It doesn't matter, right? It's just a, it's just this little one shot. Um, so they were like crawling through the vents and hacking into the terminals and stuff in the the server room and and all of this stuff. And and like when we got and it, it all went great. And when we got done with the the mission or the session. He's, he was asking, he's like, hey, did you anticipate, you know, did you think we were going to do this? And did you think we were going to do this? Like, kind of like quizzing me, like, okay, how much did we throw him off during this session? Because I hope that we really threw him off. I was like, I mean, yeah, I didn't anticipate that you guys were going to do anything specific. But uh, that's kind of why I threw you in a, in a little sandbox area anyways, because it didn't matter what you did. I mean, if you just walked through the hall shooting everybody, that would have been fine too. It just would have been a a slightly different story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This might be a hard thing for you to estimate yourself, but how's your poker face when it comes to dealing with player shenanigans? Are you generally able to like keep your emotions off your face or do your players know when, when uh, they're well afield of what you have uh, planned out? 
my my face is usually this this uh, smirk that I have pretty much constantly, which I think <laughs> throws people off. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm very I'm very bad at at actually hiding my emotions. Um, it's just that people misread my emotions most of the time. Um, my wife can pick up on it really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows what's going on, but uh, most other people, they're like, okay, he's smiling. We're messing something up here. We're, we're doing something completely wrong. And I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of like laughing at, you know, how they're trying to do something. Um, and, and it just usually ends up as me smirking. But yeah, not good at, uh, no poker face. <laughs> I used to be really bad at letting my emotions show when when players were messing with things, uh, but I this is partially because of uh, a convention that I went to. I, I kind of was able to mask my emotions there because I knew every group that played in this that played the game was going to approach things differently. Uh, so I needed to like keep a poker face. But as I developed that, and then. Uh, started playing with another group here in Nashville. Uh, one of my players one day just out of the blue said, I would not want to play poker with you, Ryan. And I was just like, I didn't know that I could do that. So apparently, apparently mine has improved. I always thought that I wore my emotions on my sleeve, but I, I guess I've gotten better at the, the dungeon master. You can try that or we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see what happens. And Maybe think, it'll get better for me. <laughs> I think that's a valuable skill. Uh, it's a valuable skill to keep your players on your toes. The only problem with being too hard to read is your players, if you have particularly jittery players that don't want to risk anything, if you do that too often, they'll kind of freeze up and be like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah, that's um, my first group is like that. It's it's why are you smiling? It's like, oh, I just thought something you said was funny. And now I'm smirking because they think something is wrong. And it, it's just a it's just a cycle. Then I'm smirking more. And then they're like, OK, something is definitely up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've talked about this multiple times. The the meme culture around D&D is fun and amusing. But there are times where the memes about D&D make play at the table more difficult and the memes about dungeon masters smiling or showing emotion at odd times have definitely made it harder to be behind the screen because people who are familiar with that meme culture are looking at you and looking at your reactions they're like wait should we should we do that it it adds a new dimension to the game shall we say yeah, sometimes you just got to be a little bit more open. I think the problem that I have is that I'm like, no, no, it's fine. And they're like, yeah, I don't trust you. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, I always make it clear to my players, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I just might not tell you everything. <laughs> so yeah, I'm... As far as guests that you would like to have on the show, uh, you know, I there's lots of great uh, names on here. It looks like you've you've kind of you know reached across multiple different aspects of uh, the community uh, to find some cool people to talk to. 
who who's on your like wish list of people you really want to talk to on the show? You and you can go as far out there as you want to, or you can keep it conservative. What whatever you you feel like you want to do there. Um, Hankrin would be really fun to have on here, especially since uh, I really followed his products pretty closely for a while. Um, honestly, I think a lot of the uh, people who write the games, I'm really interested in talking to uh, RPG authors because um, I think a lot of times you don't necessarily, you can kind of get what they're after with uh, their like game master advice section. Uh, but you don't always hear about what their like home games and stuff are like. Mm -hmm. uh, so it might be it might be something where you can get a little bit more information there. Um, it'd be fun to have like Matt Colville or Matt Mercer or some of those you know big names on as well. But they also have content on how they run games already. So I don't know if that would be too much of a uh, rehashing some of the stuff that they've already talked about. Um, they, they would always be fun to have on. Uh, regardless, just to, to say that I got to talk to them. Um, but yeah, the, the authors are always fun to talk to as well because uh, I like I like game design as well. I th probably another reason why I'm um, pulled towards being a, a DM and just RPGs in general. Um, and just talking to them about how do they how did you solve certain issues or why you know we went you went with this dice mechanic because it helped give this feel or you know this is how we did. It, this is how we did the magic system. You know, just stuff like that is just really interesting to me. Um, and some of those bits you can you can steal and put in, you know, whatever your favorite system is. So um, I think they, they would also be beneficial people to talk to as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I... My, my interviews have primarily shifted towards RPG makers because of that fact. Because... It, I like picking their brains and finding out, you know, design choices and, and how their games have influenced their designs and how their designs influence their games. That's that's definitely that's a cool list of people. And, and once we get off here, I'll, I'll give you a list of some people you should definitely reach out to because they're they're awesome guys. And, and you know, they're, they're great guests to have on the show. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, um what is what is one thing you would really like to uh, stress to everyone out there uh, who's never run a game before and is looking to get into dungeon mastering? What's like the first piece of advice you would give to someone who is looking at the pool, wondering whether or not they should stick their toes in? So if you're not sure if you want to run a game or not, I would say, especially if you... Well, regardless of if you have a game that you can play in, um, I would definitely say that you should try running a game um, and and start out with just running a couple of one shots in whatever you know system you have picked up. Maybe it's one you've played in a little bit. Maybe it's one that you think seems simple enough to learn the rules that you could potentially run it for somebody. Um, find a group of friends that is interested in doing a one shot pitch you know kind of come up with it pitch it to them um and just just run like a, a one night session and see how it goes it's it's probably gonna not be as great as you thought it was gonna be 
my first time wasn't. Uh, I was super stressed and trying to balance a ton of mechanics and, you know, notes of how much health these characters have and whatever. Um, it, it gets to be a lot, especially the first time that you do it. Uh, but it gets easier the more you do it. And especially if you're running just like a handful of one shots, you can kind of, you can play one and then like, okay, some of it was really good and some of it sucked. So I'm going to take notes. This thing didn't go well. I'm going to focus on that for next time. You know, you do another one shot, you know, you, and then you don't have that kind of stress of like, okay, I really messed up this person's character or we gave them too strong items or something. You know, you can kind of throw that all out the window and it's just, you're just going to run a handful of sessions and each one should get should get better and you can just kind of learn from that. And, and hopefully it's a, a close group of friends um, that, you know, if they know that it's your first time running a game, then, you know, great. You, they know that it might not be perfect. Or uh, maybe look online. There's a lot of places on Reddit or various Discord servers that people are willing to either run games or are looking for players or game masters. If you find people on there um, that are okay with, you know, kind of experimental sessions, I think that that is a great place to to start so that everybody feels just kind of comfortable. Um, and I've been very happy with the people that I have found online. Um, everybody is so far been super friendly and um i had only recently started playing games online with like complete strangers and and the the session that we did went like super well so um there's people out there if there aren't people local and i just jump in and get started pick a system read up on it run a couple one shots absolutely uh my one piece of advice and I almost wish I had thought to say this on uh, on your show. It just we we never kind of came around to this concept. But especially for a one shot, think of it like a like an old fashioned pocket watch or clock. Set it up, wind it up, and let it go, and then see how the players react to the situation. So what I mean by that is. Create circumstances in whatever world you want to put it in and have an idea in your mind of if no one interfered, this person or thing would go after this object or goal in this particular manner. And then as you start the game, set all of that in motion and see how the players react to it, and then feel free to react to their reactions. So, the example that I gave, and this was from uh, an interview I did with uh, Tim over at Knights and Nerds, one of his uh, one of his uh, behind the screen episodes. The example I gave was the evil Duke Sarkon the One Eyed. He is going to cross the river into the village and he is going to take it over to expand his kingdom because that village rests next to a major trade route that will allow him to kind of further his domination. So if no one intervenes, he's going to cross the river with his armies. He's going to go in there. Uh, he's going to kill the sheriff or the marshal or whoever it is that is running the town 
he's going to subjugate the people, and he is going to uh, install his men as the rulers of it and continue his conquest. How did the players react to those circumstances unfolding before them? Yeah, that's a really good uh, pocket watch analogy is a really simple way to kind of envision that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really essentially what I did with that uh, Star Wars one shot. It was like, do you, you have a defector that wants to get out? Here, Here's how you get in. And then everything else after that is is up to you on, on what happens. So, yeah, that's that's good advice. And, I mean, one, one thing that I've discovered in kind of adopting that method myself is you already, in your mind, have put the players in the role of they're going to spoil your plans because that's their job. Their job is to spoil your plans because... You know, you're the villain. You're you're playing the villain. The heroes are going to disrupt your plan. Uh, so if you put them in that state already in your mind and you embrace their their goal is to throw a wrench in my plan, you're not going to be upset with them or as upset with them when they disrupt your real world plan. Um, and that yeah that that kind of goes back to my sandbox, right? It's, it's just, mm-hmm. you guys can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter if you, if you blow the base up or not or what, whatever happens, happens. Um, and I, one thing that I, I see online sometimes is where, when the DMs kind of go into like author mode and they're like, okay, here's our story. And it's like this, you know, and it's, they're, they're, I want to say like directing it like a movie or writing it like a novel, but then, um, but then the, the characters can never deviate from, from whatever their plan is, which is like most of the fun of, uh, running a RPG. So yeah, I definitely be open and, and responsive to what your players are doing. Cause uh, you want them to have creative solutions as, um, tricky as it is sometimes to think up stuff on the fly uh, in response to those creative plans. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hard habit to break. Uh, that's that's very much where I started as a, a dungeon master. But when you read enough of those RPG horror stories and see just how many of them uh, have a dungeon master disrupting a scene, going, "Don't you you can't you can't kill that guy here. I need him for a you know for later in the story." you messed up at that point. You you can't do that. That's you you violated the spirit of RPGs by doing that. It's also one of the major challenges. You know, we we've talked about Star Wars here for a while, but that's one of the major challenges of running in an established universe is you want to put it you want to put your game somewhere where uh you can't really like break anything for your players or the players break anything especially uh if they're familiar with the setting yeah that is a that is a tricky thing in star wars is to find a a space where you have a little bit more creative freedom to do things that uh the canon stories don't necessarily touch on or or maybe only briefly touch on so that it's not like out of the realm of possibilities for whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just talked about this uh, with with Todd Moonbounce and uh, and Tegan, his co-host. Uh, one one of the my favorite places to set Star Wars games is after the fall of the Empire, kind of in the Thrawn trilogy era. And then even then, I'd like to go out into the uncharted territories because there's less out there to to mess up. And there's less structure out there for, you know, what to expect. So there's plenty of room for crazy adventures. Uh, Thrawn is like the best part of Star Wars, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Thrawn. And if you can involve more Chiss in your stories, that's... <laughs> I believe the Fantasy Flight game has stats for just players, I believe. So they have just about every species, I think, statted out. So, mm-hmm. But Thrawn is probably one of my favorite uh, favorite Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. And Thrawn's a good one, uh, like in a Star Wars game, Thrawn's a good one to throw your players up against because he has escaped by a hair so many times in his career that it almost doesn't matter where you set the story. It it will make sense for your players to thwart Thrawn, uh, foil his plans, but him to get away to fight another day because that's what Thrawn does. So I've thought about adding him in because I know the other players that are into Star Wars also love him as a character. And trying to figure out how to get his like insane amount of foresight in the game, and, and I I think you can kind of do that just from uh, just because you're the DM and you can make stuff up. I I feel like if I would include him, I would have them like, okay, they're doing this secret mission and they're you know blowing up this base, right? And then like partway through. I'm just going to cut to, like, you see Thrawn sitting in his chair and, like, one of his officers comes up and just says, you know, you, you were right, the the rebels are attacking the base, you know, as you predicted, and then, you know, cut back to them and then, okay, now I can just, like, drop more troops on them or, you know, I can pull some some funny business on them, you know, that... You maybe couldn't do in another game, but since I can just now drop stuff in with the guise of, well, Thrawn knew you were going to do this already, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he's definitely a way, if your players have done a lot of stuff to, like, draw attention to themselves, uh, Thrawn is a way to make that kind of come back to bite them in the ass. Because if you've done anything of note, uh, there's there's a greater likelihood that Thrawn knows who you are and what you've done. Yeah. I think being in the GM shoes, you, you know, because all of the stuff that he's in is, is either a novel or a TV show or something. The writers have all of the knowledge, right. Of mm-hmm. what the, the players are doing or the characters are doing and what Thrawn is doing. So they can foreshadow some of those things and, um, and it always seems like he's he's ahead of them, but they have the script, so of course he's ahead of them. Um, maybe a little bit more tricky, but yeah, I think just throwing those scenes in and just just telling them. I mean, you know what the players are doing, so so does Thrawn. <laughs> and to to kind of riff on that uh, particular situation you you've 
got there. This might be me being a little too mean to my players. Uh, but what I would do along those same lines is instead of cutting to Thrawn, the next time they have to do something, I would like triple the Imperial presence and have the players be like, what's going on? We, you know, we, we had our Intel, this was supposed to be super secret uh, you know, what, what's going on here and then set up some kind of circumstance where they can overhear and see an officer talking to a hologram of Thrawn. So they see <laughs> Thrawn, the, like the players, the, their characters see Thrawn without actually encountering him. They, they know just from seeing the, the hollow image that the officer is talking to, that Thrawn is involved, he has taken over here, he knows what's going on, and now things have gotten that much more difficult because Grand Admiral Thrawn's here. Well, and if your players know who he is, you gotta, you can't drop his name, you just have to say, you know, you see him talking to what appears to be a, a blue-skinned person with black hair, Red eyes and a and a white uh, uh, officer uniform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let them infer to the rest. Yeah, and nothing nothing makes me happier than playing a game where someone is familiar with those characters, and you start dropping those descriptions, and you watch that player's face, and they're just like, "Oh no! Oh no! 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 He's it's not! Oh no!" That that's one of my favorite feelings as a dungeon master is just kind of like unveiling something slowly that I know they're going to pick up on immediately. That's what I did with that um, that one shot. It was a it was a secret weapons facility, and I had um, basically the dark troopers from uh, the Mandalorian in there as uh, basically prototypes. So as I was describing it, they're like okay, are those dark troopers? And it's like, yep, your characters don't know that they're dark troopers, but you know that they're dark troopers. <laughs> and with the dark troopers, you can even, like... And again, this is completely dependent on how deeply nerdy your players are, but you can even just, like, describe the sound they make, and some players will be like, eh, it's dark troopers! Yeah, and that was, we ran that, like, right after the second season of The Mandalorian finished, so we were all amped up on that. Mm -hmm. Man, there is so much fertile ground for, uh, you know, like, role-playing adventures in the Star Wars universe. I've made multiple uh, episodes dedicated to Star Wars role-playing, and I feel like I could make just even more just going over all the crazy stuff you could do with that particular setting. I'm going to have to listen to more of those so that I can um, get an actual campaign running and deal with uh, my family member player who will likely try to thwart all my plans. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, as we kind of, you know, are, are coming to the end of our time here, what I like to do is give over the the end of the show to the guests to, you know, 
pitch whatever you have to pitch, uh, you know, plug your show, social media, all that stuff. So anything you want to discuss right now, anywhere you want to direct people, uh, the floor is yours. Awesome. Yeah, so you can find Dungeon Master's Toolkit on YouTube, and uh, it's hosted with Anchor. Uh, so it's on Spotify. It's on all the all the uh, podcast platforms. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I check that occasionally. Um, we also have a Discord server. So that's probably the easiest way to uh, interact with me and um, get a hold of me to get onto the show if you're interested in being interviewed, uh, which... For anybody out there listening, if you guys are interested in being interviewed, just uh, let me know. There is a Google form that you can fill out that's on my Twitter bio, and it's on uh, the Discord server as well. Um, I don't check that super frequently. I probably should check it more frequently. But if anybody just like messages me, I'm usually pretty responsive, and that's, that's a pretty good way to uh, get in on a show. Um, and then there is a website, DungeonMastersToolkit.com. Um, I need to revamp it a little bit, uh, but there is a handful of things there as well. Um, see, that's a that's about it. That's where, where most of it is. Um, the Discord, for sure. Uh, there's occasional games that are getting scheduled. Um, I know coming up in uh, November, I've got a couple of days that I'm going to try to run a couple of one-shot sessions, hopefully get a Star Wars game in and maybe a couple other systems. Or if everybody just wants to play and try the Star Wars system, I could just run that same one-shot a couple couple nights in a row. Um, and yeah, other than that, that's a, that's about it. Just if you want to come hang out, chat with, with me and the rest of the uh, guests and the uh, fans of the show, come over to our Discord server and it's a a slowly growing list of guest stars that have appeared. So it's always a, a lot of fun to see when people are hanging out and chatting and, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I have it on good authority uh, that my friend and Hellgate co-star Todd Moodmounts will be on the show uh, at some point in the not too distant future. So anyone who uh, is familiar with him from, uh, my show or from uh, Deadlands, definitely, uh, definitely check out his episode. He's going to have a lot of cool things to say. Uh, and, and you know, there's all kinds of great episodes on here. I particularly liked uh, the interview you did with Unmade Gaming. I, I felt like that was a, a, a really good uh, episode. So check out all that. Check out all the other episodes that he's got there. And, uh, you know, just, you know, Give some uh, some reviews on the uh, the platforms because that's how podcasts grow and and reach bigger audiences. So if you like what you hear, uh, drop Brock some five stars on Apple Podcasts, on Anchor, uh, Spotify, wherever you're listening to it. Uh, funny thing about Todd is that um, I think I reached out to you and he reached out to me at like the same time <laughs> separately. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm actually interviewing him tomorrow night, so his episode will be up on Friday. Sweet. Uh, so you don't have to wait too long for that either. But I just it was really funny when you mentioned his name, and I was editing, and I went back, and I was like, hold on a minute. And I pulled up my messages, and I was like, this is the person I'm interviewing next week. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... Todd is... Todd's the reason why I came across your show. Uh, I saw him, like, reach out to you on Twitter, 
And I was like, let's check this out. And so that's that's when I kind of reached out to you as well. So Todd's the reason why we got connected in the first place. That's awesome. He's just a little bit behind in the, the interview list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, guys, that is going to do it for uh, tonight's episode. Next week, I will be flying solo. Uh, and what we're going to be doing is talking about... Um, my take on RPG safety tools, uh, when to use them, when not to use them, and also some thoughts on what Seth Skorkowski has called the RPG social contract. So it'll be a, a lot of discussing player behavior, uh, you know, moderating player behavior at the table, and how it's a lot simpler than a lot of people make it out to be. So if that's something that interests you or that's something you've struggled with at your table, definitely stop by next week and we'll have that discussion. Uh, But until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.